Father, we are so thankful that you are our Father, that, that we can come to you as our Father in heaven, that that is assured and that is known, that, that we know that the status of where we stand before you, even, even not, not having heard yet the judgment of the final day. We know our status before you. We know our status for eternity because of what is guaranteed in, in what you provided through your Son. We thank you that what is, what is to be declared on that last day has already been uh, declared beforehand, Lord, that we are justified, that there's justification for those who have faith in Christ. And so we give you thanks for that. We give you praise for that because we recognize that none of that is of our own doing, that we didn't add a, a single ounce, a single good work to, to be able to earn or deserve that, but we recognize that that's purely by your grace. So, as fathers, we consider these things. We consider the, the 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 what you've revealed about the end and and the final judgment. Lord, we thank you that 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 we can take comfort in that because we know that we are in Christ. And so, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are talking through a unit on eschatology, which is just a fancy way of saying doctrine of the last things. We previously looked at kind of the, the nearsighted, immediate aspect of our personal eschatology, that, that what is immediately in store for us is death and then the immediate state to be with the Lord. Then we also took a look at, at kind of more the nearsighted, immediate, general or universal eschatology. That's the return of Christ and the millennium and, and views in the millennium and the rapture. And then Elias, the last couple weeks, started looking beyond kind of these nearsighted aspects to these final aspects of personal eschatology. What does it mean in the finality uh, for believers, this idea of what does it mean of, the, of our glorification? And so I'm going to start today looking at the, the last part of this unit, which is the kind of the far ending of the general universal eschatology and talking about the final judgment and then talking about the final states of the wicked, which, which, which we call hell, and the final state of the righteous, which we refer to as heaven or the new heavens and the new earth. But this week we're going to start and just looking at this idea of the final judgment, the final judgment. And, you know, as I'm, I'm working through this, there's probably not going to be a lot of light bulb moments today. There's just a lot of this that is just really clear in Scripture. It's also very well known in Scripture because it's, it's emphasized over and over and over again throughout Scripture and certainly throughout the New Testament from the Gospels through, through the, the, the letters all the way to Revelation that this is a repeatedly emphasized doctrine in Scripture which is why that, that I really like what Wayne Grudem does in his theology which I, I, I uh, give credit to him in, in, in drawing from that at the end that this is something that, that obviously the Holy Spirit wants us to know and wants us to apply, and it's incredibly important and applicable for our lives, this idea of the final judgment. So even though the facts that there's going to be a final judgment, and a lot of the, the aspects of the final judgment, you're going to be going, I, I knew that, right? It's, it's pretty obvious, but, but we would, there's a reason that this is, this is shown again and again and again and again and again throughout the New Testament, because this is important for us as believers to, to reflect on. So Let's, uh, let's start with the, the idea of the fact of the final judgment. That the, the fact of the final judgment is a definite and future event. So I, I listed lots of scriptures. I could have kept going. I mean, it is just over and over and over again through almost every book in the New Testament. You see this talking and referring and giving pictures of. Sometimes it doesn't use that, those words, judgment. But there's all kinds of pictures of eschatological judgment. You just read through Hebrews. Hebrews only has one or two times where it actually talks about the coming judgment. But the different various illustrations and pictures of judgment are incredible as you look throughout that, that book. So, 
But, and then you look throughout the Old Testament as well, from the, the, the very first occurrence of sin, right, in Genesis 3, God immediately demonstrated that sin will bring about what? Judgment, death and judgment, right? So you get the curses of Genesis 3, and you get the flood in Genesis 6 and 7, and you get the plagues on Egypt in Exodus 7 through 11. You have the, the uh, judgment on Korah's rebellion in Numbers 16. You have the judgment on the nations in Isaiah 13 through 23. You have the judgment on Israel and the exile, which you see throughout the prophets, and so forth and so on and so on, right? And these are precursors to this idea that, that God is going to bring about judgment at the end of the age, and then we see the scripture routinely teach the fact of this definite final judgment, especially as we look narrow down more in the New Testament. Turn to Acts 17. Acts 17. So it's interesting as, we, as you're turning there, Paul in the context here is sharing the gospel with the Greek philosophers in Athens. And, and as a part of Paul's gospel presentation, now, not to say that this is necessarily the model that we have to include in every time we share the gospel, because just because it's an example doesn't mean that it's something that we have to do every time. But it is interesting that in this occasion, when Paul is sharing the gospel, he makes very specific, there are a lot of things he leaves out. There's a lot of things that Peter includes in, in, in Acts 2. There's a lot of things that we would include potentially in, in, if you, you know, use the um, you know, EE or four spiritual laws or, or whatever it is. But Paul is very clear here that one of the things he includes in Acts 30, 17, 30, and 31 is that they need to understand that there is a final judgment that's coming. Uh, where Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul, in, this, in his, his call to repentance, makes it clear that there's a day coming when there's not going to be any more opportunity for repentance. There is a day coming of judgment. Um, and, then, and then we see another, another just kind of really clear verse, Hebrews chapter 9. It's another verse here that probably most of you know, but we'll take a look at here. Great. Yeah. That, it's that very verse in Hebrews that my mom at an elderly age was going through this thing with, uh, what's her name? Brown? Sylvia Brown about the afterlife. Hmm. Wanting so much to believe this. Hmm. And it was this verse that I sat down with her until like three o'clock in the morning and said, well, do you believe the Bible is truth? And she said, yes. And I said, well, let me show you what it says. It huh. This verse. Real, 927? Yeah, huh. her to abandon these crazy thoughts and sayings that this woman had huh. about talking to the afterlife and start to believe what the Bible said. Praise God for that. Yeah. Praise God. Anyway, but why don't you read that for us, Vic? 927. Yeah, well... Oh, is appointed for man to yeah. die once, and then the judgment. Look at this. He got off the tip of his tongue there. There you go. It's appointed for every man to die, and then to face judgment. To die once, and after that, the judgment. Yeah. So it's so very clear that this is appointed for every every person, and so and then we see that also throughout. I listed all those other scriptures there as well. That that it's just over and over and over in picture that, that there is this coming judgment. Um, scripture is also clear regarding the timing of this judgment is, is going to be after the second coming of Christ at the end of the millennium, no matter what conceptions. We looked at the various conceptions of the millennium. This idea that the judgment is coming after whatever that conception and interpretation of the millennium is. Um, let me see. Uh, 
Uh, let's see. We'll, we won't turn there. Matthew 16, Jesus speaks of a future event of his return and that coming judge. First Corinthians 4, very similar that we're not to judge now. We're to wait until the Lord comes. He's going to judge when he comes. But turn to Revelation 20 so as we just look through there. Hey, Greg, yeah. Um, I the day, of the, the day of the Lord. Yes. Is that what this is called in the scripture? It is. The Old Testament would refer to the day of the Lord, but the, the Old Testament would tend to refer to the day of the Lord almost as a all-encompassing aspect. Um, so there's aspects of, Peter would say, use Joel's day of the Lord passages and talking about Pentecost. So so everything from, from the Messiah's coming through first coming, through the Messiah's second coming and judgment and is all kind of from the, the, the Old Testament perspective, this day of the Lord. So so it is so it's an aspect of it, but not just the sole aspect of it. Judgment would still be separate from that. No, it's it's included in, in, in kind of a packet. So it's kind of like I, I've said before, when the Old Testament's looking forward to especially these eschatological events, um, that it's, it's almost like you're driving up and looking at a mountain range and you're saying, there's the Sierra Nevada mountains. That's the day of the Lord. When you get closer to those mountain ranges, you start realizing that the first mountain and the second mountain, oh, they're, they're, there's definitely distinctions and they're kind of far apart, but they all kind of look together, right? That from, from a distance. But when you're right next to them, you see that there's some, some distinctives. And that's what we see as the day of the Lord is that there's aspects of, of Christ's first coming um, and, and his, his, his sacrifice. Then clearly P- Peter says that um, the, uh, um, the, the, the coming of the Spirit and the bringing of the Spirit is, is, an, is a, a picture of, of um, the last days, day of the Lord. Um, you see that, that that's applied throughout. And then you clearly would see them then in different understandings of, of Revelation as far as tribulation, um, uh, millennium, um, you know, judgment, and, and new heavens and earth. There, there's a, it's almost like that, that whole picture is the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And as you get close, you realize that there are different aspects of that that are being, being described um, at, different, at different times. And, and I'd say day of the Lord tends to be kind of an umbrella overarching packaging for, for these end time events. Yeah, I was always kind of looking at it as the, the, the tribulation. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part. Probably there's there's part there. But 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 there are there's aspects again, I mean the biggest thing is that Peter is applying those kind of passages out of Joel to Pentecost. So you start saying there's a broader term that the, the New Testament understood of how that's being applied. Yeah. Well, wait, all days belong to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's look at Revelation chapter 20. So verses 1 through 6 talk about this millennial kingdom. Verses 7 through 10 talk about a final rebellion of Satan as followers, culminating in a final defeat. And then what we're really talking about here is starting in verse 11, where John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, Earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
So that, that is, is probably the most detailed description. Um, it's still, there's still uh, apocalyptic language that's used there. There's a lot of imagery that's used there. Um, but, but it's describing this, uh, this future event after this, this reign of Christ um, of, of this final judgment. Before what we see in chapter 21 is the final states of the new heaven and new earth. Um, so that, that's this definite future event. Again, probably no, I never thought about that before, never heard that before. It's, it's just routinely through scripture, right? Um, you know, what, one interesting thing, though, as we think about this, that, that the fact of the final judgment is not just a definite event, it's a necessary event. Uh, theologian Louis Burkhoff, he points out an interesting logical consideration. So this is, there's some scripture we're going to look at that backs this up, but it really starts with Burkhoff using some logic. That's what a lot of theology is, is tying these ideas together through logic. And, and he looked at these passages regarding judgment, and as we've studied already, and as Elias, as Elias has pointed out to us, that right now, when people die, they immediately go either to be with the Lord or they go immediately into punishment without ever an act of judgment taking place. Right? So Burkhoff makes it, it says, Burkhoff says it's interesting that you have these texts that we've studied that point to already these preludes to those final states, and yet judgment hasn't taken place yet. And, and so additionally, as, as Burkhoff points out, when you look at these passages, which we looked at just now, we're going to look at uh, some more throughout this morning, none of these passages really describe a time of God discovering the condition of our hearts. Right? There's not this idea of the, the ancient Egyptians of, oh, now we're going to kind of weigh things, and now we're going to really figure out what your life was. Right? The picture that's given, we just looked at Revelation 20, God already had it all recorded. God knows. Right? There's not this, this oh, what's going to happen type, type idea in any of these pictures of judgment. God already has it all in detail. So Burkhoff says, then the only thing that would logically make sense is that the purpose of the final judgment is not to determine our final condition. It's not to ascertain our final condition, but it's to demonstrate and display God's justice as he declares to the universe what that final verdict is. Right? So let me read, it's a little bit long, but let me read this quote from, from Burkhoff in his Systematic Theology. He says that the final judgment will serve the purpose rather of displaying before all rational creatures the declarative glory of God and a formal forensic act which magnifies on the one hand his holiness and righteousness and on the other hand magnifies his grace and mercy. Moreover, it should be borne in mind that the judgment at the last day will differ from that of the death of each individual in more than one respect. It will not be secret, but public. It will not be pertain to the soul only, but also to the body. It will not have a reference to a single individual, but to all men. So, so the final judgment fulfills this necessary purpose to openly and universally demonstrate God's judgment or justice and mercy to, of, his, of his judgment. Of, of, and so, so we see that we see that in Romans, the importance of God being shown both as the, the as just and the justifier of those who faith have faith in Christ. Um, we see in First Peter one that it's important that Scripture declares that God judges each one impartially. Romans two eleven, God shows no partiality. Romans three nineteen says every mouth will be stopped and the whole world will be held accountable to God. So that, that this point is that, that, that those scriptures back up Burkhoff's point that on the day of judgment, no one's going to be able to complain that God is unfair. That God was unfair when they died and they, 
either went to go be with the Lord or they went to go um, to, be, to, to, to judgment to, to, or to punishment or in the future in that final judgment in the, in the final states that, that, that it's going to be fully displayed to all creation God's justice in his um, in his in his uh, in his acts of, of judgment so so I, I think that that's that's just an interesting aspect that's pointed out by Burkhoff there that there's a necessity there's a necessity of this judgment not to try to determine where we're supposed to be, but to demonstrate God's justice in, 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 in where everyone ends up. So any, any questions, comments so far? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so those, so when we die, yeah. and I'm thinking of those under God's judgment, uh-huh. the ones that did not accept him, yeah. they still have to come and show their face that yes. day. Yes, yep. And how, you know, they know they've yeah. been in torment, and that's got to be... Oh. Yeah. 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 And that's Burkhoff's point, is that that's happening, and, and this final judgment is to display God's justice mm-hmm. in what has already been occurred, right? In, in, in the destiny, in that... that uh, um, 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 intermediate state of, 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 of death, right? That, that the, the final judgment declares that everything that has, been, that, that has happened, everything that happens at that judgment is all according to justice, that no one's going to be able to say, wait a minute, that wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, that, th- this, I got a, 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 um, an unfair deal here, that God's judgment will be declared perfectly righteous on that day. You study art at all in history. Michelangelo painted a famous painting of the, I think it's called The Doom. Hmm. And it's the look of the man who has died and realized that he is not uh, going to heaven. Hmm. And it is just a very graphic painting wow. looking into the eyes. Uh, I mean, studying art's fascinating because hmm. they have this insight into that. And that's yeah. what I thought of when you mentioned that. Yeah. Hmm. It's a horrible look. <laughs> yeah. And just as we think of our, our salvation and our pr- the promises, it's already but not yet. Yeah. It's the op- or the same idea, but in the opposite direction for. Yeah. Non-believer. Yeah, yeah. Struggling a little bit with past couple studies we did. When he dies, his body goes into the dirt. Yes. So this interim period is his soul is in torment. Yes. And he doesn't get his body until the judgment throne. Yeah. Is that the way? Yeah. Um, scripture doesn't. Scripture is clear. That, that it is the one time that that what makes us human, body, material and immaterial, we, let's say, are separated. And yet, there, it, doesn't very, it doesn't really make clear in the sense of what does that look like. Scripture is very, just, just vague. It's, it's unclear as to the aspect of, well, then what does that look like? We have no conception of human life that's not physical. God created man, the, the, the term, uh, one of the terms that's used is a psychosomatic unity. That we are created, there is, the, the idea of, of, of human life, of, of me, not physical, is actually unbiblical in so many different ways. That it's, it's both, both material and immaterial. And yet we see that there is a separation and death. So what does that look like? And Scripture doesn't answer that question for us. Um, I think Randy Alcorn, you, you, you read his book. I think Alcorn s- suggests that there would be a temporary physical body. That our soul would then be then 
re um, or given a temporary physical body because this idea of the Bible is so emphatic about the importance of the human physical body. Um, it's, it, that we're not just floating spirits that, that, that Alcorn suggests, but not saying that scripture would say that, but that just from, from the doctrines that scripture suggests there. So it's, it's very, but he would, he, Alcorn would even say, if I remember correctly, he said, I'm not saying that this is necessarily, but taken from the evidence of how important the body is to who we are, according to scripture, uh, contrary to early like Gnostic doctrine, uh, Herod's heretical doctrine in the early church, that there, that, that, that they, that's what Alcorn's thinking. But scripture just doesn't say. It says that, that we are separated from our body, that there is, that those who are, you know, uh, uh, have faith in Christ go to be with the Lord, those who are, don't go to punishment. How does that look? How does that work? You have, you do have like the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which we'll look at, but parables are hard. How, how much do you read into parables, which are never really meant to be read into, right? It, 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 parables are never meant to be perfect allegories, Parables are usually meant to give one or two main teaching points, um, which, that, right? When you do that with illustrations, you give an illustration like, well, no illustration is perfect. All illustrations break down, and that's what parables are. So it's, it's really difficult, um, and, and we'll look at that when we look at the, the rich man Lazarus um, next couple weeks, but it is. It's tough, and, and you're saying it's you're – kind of, you're wrestling with that because Scripture just doesn't answer it for us. Yeah. It's like almost as though we are – Trinity, uh, body, heart, soul, and mind. Yeah, I would, I would, I think it's simpler to say that there's a physical part and there's a, 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 a non-physical part. The physical part grows yes. Turns back to dirt. Yes. The non-physical part kind of drifts along until he returns to the body and is reunited. So I keep thinking that it is that period of time when it does not have a physical body, but the the mind and the soul still function as a as a human being, as, yeah. as someone made in the image of God. Yeah, we just lost our physical. Yeah, and that's why it's a difficult. That's what Alcorn. You know, it's interesting. You can read Alcorn uh, his the the book that Elias is recommending. He he kind of wrestles with that for a while because um, I think it's a tough subject, but it's one of those subjects that if we want answers, we're gonna we're gonna have to find answers outside of Scripture, which is always hard, right? It's like, okay, well, we can try to use our logic to figure those things out, but scripture just doesn't answer the question for us. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's your take on when uh, uh, Jesus was on the cross and, uh, and uh, you know, the one thief mm-hmm. said that, you know, you don't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Jesus replied to him, uh, today you will be with me in mm-hmm. paradise. Mm-hmm. Now, is that kind of the difference between Hades and hell situation? Uh-huh. Yeah, or no. Um, it, it's more the aspect of, of, you know, I mean, first of all, you're looking at, I mean, you, the, the, it echoes the rest of the New Testament sentiment, right? Where those who die, who have faith in Christ, will, will go immediately and be with the Lord, absent with the body, is home with the Lord. Um, I, I think that if reading into that word paradise, um, I, if that's what, really, if you're looking at that term, um, I think your aspects, I think the New Testament would, would emphasize that to be with Christ is paradise. But, but you're also looking at Old Testament language. As you start to look at what, what paradise is, um, I, I don't think it's a, it's a very commonly used Old Testament term, if I remember correctly. So I, I don't know. I have to look, I'd have to think about it more. But yeah, I mean, I think that the emphasis is that the New Testament would pick up on the, it's interesting that the New Testament tends to pick up more on the with me, it seems like, 
than the paradise term. That to be to be in paradise or to be in um, in a way what we describe as heaven, the intermediate state of, of blessedness, is to be with him, to be absent of the body, is to be with the Lord, which with the Lord is the, the term for Christ in the New Testament. Would so. that be what uh, the Garden of Eden was before the sin occurred? Yeah, it's, it's described as paradise. That's which is, that type of... Yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, I would say the, the closest parable at the Garden of Eden, though, is that when you look at new heavens, new earth, which we'll look at in a few weeks. Right, so, right, yeah. Right. yeah. I was just going to ask if it's not too much trouble that back in Revelation is where it mm-hmm. says the lake of fire is the second death. Yeah. I'm, uh, is, I'm, a, I'm a little confused about that. In that. Is that then a spiritual death where there's no more chance of you ever... Yeah, I think... It seems like that's already passed, so what's that mean, the second death? I'm, I'm not sure the emphasis is that there's, not no, that there's no more chance. I think that there's an aspect of... Um, I think death in the sense of not ceasing from existence, but death in the, in the sense right. of, of finality. I guess there's an aspect of finality and punishment and, and eternal punishment. Ju- but, yeah, so it seems like more of judgment, the final yeah. judgment. Well, yeah, yeah, you're, I, I can mean, see that. Your soul goes on, it's just in torment. Yeah, and body. And body. Yeah, because you see that there is a resurrection of the body there, and that's what Burkhoff right. is pointing out, that the distinction is that, that, that there's going to be an eternal punishment of body and soul and forever, so... Yeah. When Christ first arose and appeared to Mary, yes. she didn't recognize him, but yes. he had a body form. Yes. Um, and he, she, he, she couldn't touch him because he hadn't ascended to his father. Yes. But it was still a body form. Yes, but we would say that, I think it's Philippians makes the comparison to Christ's resurrected body with our resurrected body. That at the time of, of our re, reuniting with Christ in the sense of our bodies being reunited at, at this idea of which, you know, our, our church would teach at the rapture, um, that is being compared in Philippians that we will have a, a body like his. Um, but I would say that, that in, the immediate, in the immediate term, that the, the, the scripture is really clear that there's a separation, that, that our body, our physical body does go to the grave, and that at the time of um, that, 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 um, of that resurrection, that is when it would be given a body like his. And I think it's Philippians. If, I if just think correctly. it's kind of interesting because it says she doesn't recognize him. Yeah. So he doesn't look the same. But later after he has ascended and he says, touch my hand, yeah. then they do recognize yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how much you read in because you have to look and saying, the, and I can't remember which, which, if it's Matthew or Luke, I'm not sure that they're trying to emphasize what was Jesus' body like, right? right. I think what they're trying to emphasize is, is this unbelievable nature of what happened. And so because of that, I, I personally, I, I think I, I want to be careful reading in. And I think yeah. that's one of the things with Alcorn, I really enjoy him. But sometimes I think he maybe reads in a little bit too much just because I think there's a lot that's very vague. And we, we, there's a lot of questions we want answered. So we see little things in scripture and we probably make a lot more of them than maybe. It, it could be that way, but it's, there's also other things. It's just difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it was. It was. I think that's. I think that whether it's Matthew or Luke, I think that that's the the emphasis is is of the 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 shock and unbelievability of 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 what had occurred, and not necessarily the nature of his body. Um, and so I think that there's. Um, so there's a lot of questions that Alcorn, for instance, tries to answer that there's just not a lot of answers for, and and so which is it's it's frustrating, but thankfully. Uh, we're we're gonna get to we're gonna have those answers one day, right? Yeah. <coughs> what All right. rights does he make 
He does. I think he does. I think he does a good job with that. Uh, I think he's he's firm where they need to be firm. And it's been a long time since I read it, but you had that feel? I feel like he does a good job saying, we don't know this for certain, right. but if you look at this and this, there's, maybe. There's some, he, he, yeah, maybe, hint, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah, he doesn't claim One other point in my mind, we're talking about after we die, mm-hmm. this final judgment, we think in terms of time. Yeah. Outside of time, so we're taking our presuppositions and prejudice of linear time yeah. that doesn't exist. Yeah, and that's a difficult one as well of understanding because, as Alcom points out, it seems it seems like there's some understanding of time in the throne room according to Revelation. But how much is that is imagery, and how much is that? It's just it's difficult. It is very difficult of how much you you look into that, and so. Uh, let's keep going. The, the nature of the final judgment. Um, first of all, uh, we're going to go a little faster than this because I don't think there's going to be, a, again, there's not a lot of new things here. Uh, the judge over the final judgment, scripture clearly shows that's Jesus, right? Uh, I'm not going to go into those scriptures. Matthew 25, Jesus pictures himself as the son of man who's judging on the glorious throne. Acts 10.42, um, I think it's Peter who says that Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge. 2 Timothy 4.1, Jesus is described by Paul as the one who judges the living and the dead. Um, but it's interesting that, that we see that, that God the Father is also pictured as judge in Hebrews 12, 23, but John 5, 26 says that the Father's granted him, the Son, the authority then to judge. So the Father has the authority to judge that's delegated and given to the Son, so Jesus will be the one sitting in final judgment. Now here's where, again, it is an interesting point. We see that this is true and there's not a lot of explanation necessarily of how that works out. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Um, and before we look at that passage, but I'll just have you turning there. The Bible talks about others participating somehow in that judgment. The first ones we see this is Matthew 19 and Luke 22. Jesus says the disciples are going to participate in judging the, ten, the 12 t- tribes of Israel. So somehow the disciples are being described as participating particularly in, 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 in Israel's final judgment. Um, and Revelation 20 speaks of those on thrones sharing in judgment as having authority that's delegated by Christ, but doesn't tell us who those are. And then we have this one-off statement that Paul is almost, I mean, I think the idea that Paul has explained this before to the Corinthians, but he didn't explain it to us. And so he, it's just kind of this one-off of trying to, he's talking about one thing. He says, oh, and you know this, right? And it's like, no, we don't. I mean, thankfully it's there. Otherwise we'd have no idea. Praise, praise God, the Holy Spirit to, to have that there. But so Paul is talking about how um, the, the believers should not be engaging in lawsuits against other believers. Um, and, and, and then he, he gives in 1 Corinthians um, 6 verses 2 and 3, he says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And that's where I'm like, no, we wouldn't have known that if the Holy Spirit had you inspired to write that there. So it's a good thing it's there. Um, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Uh, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And, and here's what I'm going to say. That's all Paul says. That's all the New Testament says. There are, are aspects where the disciples are specifically pointed out on some things, but, but that seems to be very specific to the 12 disciples judging over the 12 nations of Israel. This is, this, we're not them. 
This is spe- specifically written to us as the church, as saints in the Lord, right? So now some would say, and there's some interpreters that would say, well, that means that we're just going to be there witnessing the judgment, but that doesn't really fit the context, right? The context is here is not, don't, don't participate in lawsuits because you're going to get to see the final judgment. That's not really what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, you should be able to have some wisdom and to exercise wisdom and exercise aspects of God's wisdom and God's justice and figuring out matters of disagreements within the church because that's what you're going to be doing on the last day. And that's all he tells us. And that's it. So, so there's, a, you could, you could, there's a lot, there's, there's speculations, right? But all we know, we don't know who and how and exactly how this is all going to work out. But Paul says, what we do need to know is that we will have some sort of role on that last day. We don't know how, we don't know what it looks like, but we do know what that should, what that should do in us now knowing that we are going to have to exercise God's wisdom and and justice on that day, that should make us say we need to be faithful stewards in how we exercise God's wisdom and justice on this day, especially as we look in our behavior and our interactions within the church. That sounds more millennial to me. I mean, you know, if we're talking millennial, you know, you Yeah, it's difficult. more like that because I think it's difficult, I would say, depending on what type of premillennial you are. Well, if you're an amillennial, right? But if, you, if you're an amillennial, then that's, that is, because um, it's clearly future, right? So this is a clearly future aspect and a judging aspect. And it's not a ruling, I don't know, because it's not a ruling aspect. Because it, it seems to, to me, it sounds like it would be more in play with what you It could be. The millennial. Then it could be. It could. It would be difficult, though, because I, again, there's, there's a lot of things that intertwine there, right? Depending on what type of millennial. And then if you're if you are a like our church holds is a pre-trib, you would say that that we the pre-trib position says that we are there, but we are actually not the emphasis of the millennium. So the promises of the millennium for a pre-trib rapture, those who are reigning and ruling with Christ are not the church. It's the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. That we're there, but we're kind of, as one described it, that the, 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 the Jews kind of are the center and ruling from Jerusalem with Christ. And we get to experience it and we get to be under Christ and under the reign of, of, of a reformed Israel. But it's really not about us. That's, that's the pre-trib position. That we're kind of there, but we're not really ruling with Christ because that, is, that was promised to Israel. Um, and so if you're a post-trib, that maybe that could fit in, but that's really narrow, right? So it's just difficult. I, but again, it, it's not a ruling language. And is there ruling and judging? Or is there semantic overlap? There is. So I could see that that interpretation. But I guess what I look at is saying, man, there's, it really is talking, especially the judging angels aspect, that seems to indicate final judgment. And so, yeah. Um, but again, there's a lot of just, but here's the point. Paul's point is not, how does this exactly work out? Because Paul says, you don't need to know this, clearly. And the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul, if the Holy Spirit wanted us and needed us to know more details, he would have inspired it. We have enough to bring about the result that God is desiring. And that is, I know that this and somehow is going to be the case. And that should affect how I live my life with my brothers and sisters now. That, that's, the, that's the point, I think, that the main point there. 
So that's a difficult passage, but um, because there's just not a lot there. Um, yeah. Uh, isn't part of the final judgment? Um, it's kind of like the way our governments put together. You know, where oh, no. they, you know, they, <laughs> <laughs> where you have the uh, the House, you know, gathering the facts, the Senate, you know, uh, basically making the judgment on it, and then the administration. And, and isn't the final judgment part execution where then at that point Satan is thrown into the uh, lake of fire and everybody else that's you know. Yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't make that parallel there because I think that you, as you look that there is no gathering of facts that is, is that there, there's really no it's, it's, it's already been declared and the fact is, that's what I'm saying that God has already executed punishment before the judgment right that, that God has already punished those who have died as an intermediate state of, of hell before the final judgment of the lake of fire. So you're looking at, it's, it's less gathering fact, but there is the, the, but your point on the aspect of judgment is, is not in the sense of a, is not just in the sense of a courtroom judge giving the verdict, but it is the verdict along with the, um, the results, whether not just um, um, the, the, the final state of the wicked, but also the final state of the blessedness, that there's an aspect of from the judgment, those names who are written in the book of life uh, experience the new heavens and new earth. And so, um, so I'd say it's less this aspect of that there's different bodies, because different, it's very clear all authority is given to the Son. In the fact that even it seems that God the Father is acting at the final judgment through God the Son. That, that, that there is no other aspect that, that, God, that, that Jesus is always held to, even to the point of a deference of God the Father, the one entity at the judgment. And so, so again, we participate somehow, but it doesn't say how. And so I, and, and so I, I would say, but in any way we participate is not going to remove anything from the complete glory of Jesus Christ at that time. That, 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 that any way we participate will not be to lessen the aspect of Jesus as, as judge, as final judge, and Jesus as the, the glorious just one at that day. So, yeah. Um, how are we doing? Okay. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, we're all right. All right. Uh, let's look about the subjects of the judgment. Um, is there? 19 chapters in Hebrews in my Bible. Oh, nine. Sorry. Yeah, nine. Nine. Nine twenty-seven. Um, there you go. Yeah, you, know, you, got, you got to get the, uh, the updated version here. Um, extended, extended and annotated version, yeah. Um, you know what? Ah, there's just so much. And I want to spend some time on the application. Let's, any other questions? Because I think I'm going to stop there this week. Um, I want to I, I want to go through there and I want to look at a little bit of of this aspect of um, that, that we all face judgment and what does that mean for unbelievers? What does that mean for believers? Because it's clear that believers face judgment. We're going to be facing judgment as well, and yet there's a assured verdict of that. And looking at some of that, I don't want to rush that, and I definitely don't want to rush the application because I think that the meat of this is. The, the doctrines are very clear, right? The aspect that there is going to be a judgment, that the judgment's coming, that God's going to show his justice, that Jesus will be the judge. Most of that's not, I mean, from, from a very, you know, you just read through your Bible and you see that those doctrines are very clear. In fact, as I said, that you see that those doctrines are emphasized over and over and over again. So where we want to get to then is just making sure we, yeah, we have a handle on those. 
And what does that mean for us? So I don't want to rush that because I want to look at, at that a little bit next week of, man, this is very, very applicable. The New Testament expects that when we think about these things, that makes a difference in our lives. And so I, I don't want to rush that. So any other thoughts or questions for this week? And I think I'm going to um, not rush those, these last parts and we'll, we'll pick it up. So the Bible talks about us getting rewards in the end. Yeah. This is not part of the game. No, there's an aspect. We're going to talk about that. I thought about talking about in this unit. I think it's better to talk about when we talk about final states because the Bible talks about judgment and the Bible does talk about varying degrees of punishment, I think, and there's various degrees of rewards. Um, But I would say it's a minor note. And the major note is that the punishment is the, 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 um, the, 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 the lake of fire and the, the, the reward is salvation. There are hints that there's more, but the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot in those terms because I think the focus is not there. Where if I, under, you know, I mean, I just understand human nature and God understands us more than that is that our, our human nature would tend to run there. Right? How am I going to have more rewards than Dave has? Right? Um, exactly. But but so the, the 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 focus of Scripture, I think, is more on the aspect of that. That's the minor note, and so and, and even the aspect of where does that judgment place in? I think you can try to parse that out, but even there, it's it's I think it's reading in, and so um, I don't see a lot of detail there either. Yeah, I think it's there. It's there, it's there but it's the minor note, not the major note. Yeah. So, so but so we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, and, and I would, I would say, man, but most of the ask, most of the focus is on the crown, which is eternal life, right? That's the focus. I think that there's there's hints, but I think that that when we make that the emphasis, we're actually we're actually flipping, we're, we're turning around what the scripture actually is focusing on. I think that there's evidence that there's something there, but there's not a whole lot that's emphasized. So we're fully perfected. So how can there be more perfected? Yeah, so there's just not a lot, of, and there's not a lot of ex. Yeah, perfected than you. And there's not a lot of explanations. Uh, there's not a lot of explanations. We'll, we'll look at that. I mean, and we'll look at. I think that the best evidence is also, I would say, in in. Um, I think some of the best evidence is in, is in like parables, which are just difficult. So I think that parables inf- said that there is something there, but how that exactly works out, you, 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 you want to be careful not to read too much. We're, so we're going to get there and talking about that. Um, in both of those ways, uh, but the scripture doesn't emphasize that and doesn't, uh, and so, so I, I, it's not going to be a huge emphasis, but we will talk about it when we talk about eternal states. So, good question. Any other final questions, thoughts, comments? All right, let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are just. Father, we recognize, and I know we didn't talk too much, and we'll talk more next week, but Father, I, I thank you that that we can know that that is true. That when we face a world that is full of injustice, to know that, that on the last day, we will see that you are perfectly just in all of your ways and all of your judgments. Father, we thank you that you are not just just, but you are the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. We thank you that, that according to your justice, that we should be, we deserve nothing but hell. But Lord, we are, we are graciously given heaven because you are the justifier of us through our faith in Christ. So we just thank you for that. We give you praise. We thank you for the ability to study these things as we continue our study through Romans. And we pray that you would anchor these things, anchor our hearts in these truths, that that it would would result in in your glory as we would offer our, our bodies as living sacrifices to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.